Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. It's uh, very special for me to be here tonight. I grew up in Helena about 20 years ago since I've, I've lived here, but um, a lot of my roots are here. And I know that through this last year, all of you to varying degrees have been in prayer and supported us, and we deeply appreciate that. The things that we want to share tonight, I, I want to do two things. One is I want to illustrate, uh, by way of testimony, the good things that God has done in our lives through, um, through, the, through Joy's accident. And the second thing I want to illustrate is, is the, the power of prayer and some of the eternal lessons that God has, has really brought home to us through, through what has happened to us. And so I, I really appreciate all of you coming tonight. And I want to pray tonight that the Lord will, will quicken something of Him to us tonight. Jesus, thank you for these friends and my family that have come together tonight. Lord, I ask for the anointing of your Spirit. May you touch us, Father God, in a special way as, as the lessons that you've shown to us, Father, might be multiplied and made real in the lives of my friends here tonight, Lord. We ask you to, to minister in a powerful way now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I would like to introduce my parents to you. My mom and dad, Ed and Celia Schroeder, are here, and Joy's mom, Lois Carbaugh, is here, as well as my sister, Nancy, and her husband, Dale. Why don't you all stand? They have been a, an incredible support to us through all of this, and I, I deeply love and appreciate all of you. Amen. I want you to turn with me to Matthew 7, if you have your Bibles. I don't want to couch what I have to say from this passage, very familiar passage that Jesus spoke to us in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. One of the things we don't have to live very long to realize is that life is filled with storms. There's things that come upon our lives that, that were, that would probably terrify us if we knew in advance that they were coming. But we, we live in a world where storms are an inevitable part of life. And at some time throughout our lifetime, tragedy and circumstances and trials that we don't understand are going to touch us. Many of us in this room can say amen to that because these, these things have already touched our lives. On March 14th of last year, uh, a storm hit our life. Joy was leaving a shopping center in Bozeman, was um, heading towards Main Street, going about 10 miles an hour, and a man coming around a corner at about 50 miles an hour struck her, and the resulting injury to her body has left her paralyzed from, from the chest down and without use of, of most, most all of her body. That's a storm that has come into our lives. 
Second thing we learn from this parable is that everyone builds a house. So everyone is building a house. And as we daily live our lives, we're all building a structure. So we're all investing our lives into something. And when the weather's nice and when before there's any storm, you really can't tell the difference between the house that's built on the rock and the house that's built on the sand. There's no difference at all. But it's in the time of testing that the real foundation is exposed. And the storms of life do that. They expose our foundations. And, and sometimes they, they expose it in a good way because it shows that we have been founded upon the rock and we go through trials and difficulties with victory. Other times, storms expose the falseness of our foundation and it becomes a, an opportunity from God for us to strengthen and to build upon our foundations. I want to share with you tonight some lessons that we have learned through, through, through Joy's accident and some things that God has been building and working into our lives. Before the accident happened, it was about a week before that this accident took place. And I don't even remember exactly when, when during the week this took place, but I was having a, a little quiet time with the Lord. And I was thinking about situations where uh, a tragedy happens. And, and due to the, the resulting handicap or situation in a marriage, one of the spouses leaves and says, I just can't handle this. And I was mulling that over in my mind, thinking that it, how against love that really is. And, and God's covenant, um, with us is not a fair weathered covenant. God loves us regardless of what we do, doesn't he? His grace is extended to us in spite of what we do. And the same thing in a marriage covenant. We don't marry our spouse for better, but we marry them for better or for worse in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor. We're, we're making an unconditional covenant that says, I'm going to love you regardless of what you do in life. I'm committing myself before the altar of God to do that. And as I was thinking about that, the Lord spoke really clearly to my heart. And he said, Dick, what would you do if that happened to joy? And so I, I thought about it and it, it sobered me to think like, wow, that would really change our lifestyle. And of course it would, it could drastically change the way we conduct our lives. But, but, but I said, Lord, it would not change the love that I have for my wife. It would not, the, the, the issue or the option of divorce is not an option in my mind because when I made my, my covenant with my dear wife, I committed myself to loving her no matter what comes up, no matter what comes, you know. And the Lord responded and said, good. And that was the end of the conversation. And I didn't think another thought about it. I especially did not interpret it as a prophecy or, or an omen that something bad was going to happen. But that Saturday on March 14th, I was staying home with the children while Joy had taken some time off to do some shopping. And a dear friend of ours called me on the phone with a rather frantic voice and said, Dick, Joy has been in an accident. And right there in my heart, I knew that it was a very serious thing. I didn't, in the natural, I didn't know how badly she was hurt. I didn't know anything except that the, right at that moment, the Lord imparted to me a cushion of grace. And that's the only way I can describe it. A cushion of grace that, that has carried me from that moment to this very day, almost a year now. And, and it's like he took me upon his, his hand, all of our family, really. But he, but he, he took us on our hand and says, now, Dick, I'm going to take you through this situation. I am with you. And I have been, been very much aware of, of the Lord's grace through all of this. Now, that's not to say it hasn't been difficult and challenging, because it certainly has. It's 
it, it's tried the best of our souls. But I, but I can say that at every crossroad, at every decision that we've had to make, I have sensed the Lord is there with me. And it's the mystery of grace that, that you never know until you go through the fire. You know, Corey Tinboom uh, tells this story of, she used to ask her father, who was a dear Christian man, she'd say, Father, how, how when I die, how, how am I going to be ready to die? She would ask this when she was a little girl. And her father would say, now remember when we go to take the, when we take the train somewhere, when do we get the ticket? And Corey responded, well, we buy, buy the ticket right before we get on the train. And her father said, now that's the way, that's the way grace works. It's before you get on the train, you buy the ticket and the ticket takes you to your destination. And I can testify to you that that is what has happened is that there's been this, this mystery of, of God's grace working in our lives. A dear friend of mine came to Billings. Um, about a week after the accident, Joy was moved to Billings that that evening in a medical plane from from Bozeman to Billings, and and he asked me. He pulled me aside and he said, "Dick, you you seem really on top of things. You're you're happy. You're cordial. I can see the joy of the Lord in your life." But he said, "How are you really doing deep down inside?" And I said, "Dennis, I have the joy of the Lord, and I have the assurance." that God is going to take care of this and get us through this thing. It's unexplainable, but that's the mystery of the grace of God. And I mention that for another reason, because I see that as a tangible answer to all of the prayers that you and many other people have prayed. That's God has just supported us and sustained us through the prayers of his people. At the time of the accident, there was a tremendous support mechanism that, that came into being, and that support mechanism is the body of Christ, God's people. And, and before, um, I, I, I Mary, the lady who had, had, had witnessed the accident, and she came home and picked me up because Joy had our only vehicle, and by the time I got to the hospital, she had, had already been taken there by, by ambulance. And there was already a, a couple of brothers there at the hospital that had heard about the accident. And how they heard about it, I don't know. But, but this, this tremendous chain of people calling and, and alerting other people happened so that in the next day, we, we literally heard from people, not only in, in the United States, but we heard from people and friends in other nations that had heard about this accident. And people just responded and, and, and called others to prayer. And, and that is, that's the way the body of Christ is to be. We're, we're a tremendous support mechanism. And, and when one of the members of the body is in need, all of the other members rally around that person. And that's what's happened to us in such an incredible way. We uh, took a medical plane into, into Billings. And when I arrived there, uh, several of my, my close friends, another guy who's a campus minister there at Eastern, uh, brother Bob Fox was there. Brother Rody came down when he got back into town and just, there was always people surrounding us and 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 being there when when we needed them to be the 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 couple that works with me that filled in uh, during the six during our six month absence when we moved to California uh, this couple came and they stayed with me all night in the waiting room and that that just meant so much that they were just willing to be there they were just willing to stand there this is the evidence of how much god's grace was with me is i slept all that night and they stayed awake praying and just kind of in consternation. And I just slept like a baby. Hallelujah. God's grace is so good. 
Our friends next door took care of our children for, for that initial first week when we were gone. And, and literally, people just came out of the woodwork and saying, and said, I will meet this need. I'll take care of this need. And, and all of these, these needs in this, in, in the, the initial part of the accident were, were, were taken care of. That is a tremendous witness of what the body of Christ is to be. And boy, never underestimate what, what value that we have in one another. We have a tremendous value in the Lord. And I, I've come to appreciate that in a far greater way than I ever did before. Another lesson that we learned and, and really became really uh, focused in, in our lives is how important people are. How important people are to us. During our, our years on campus, as Brother Paul mentioned, we've tried to invest our lives in people. We've tried to invest our, our time and our energy into the students that, that the Lord has, has brought to us at Montana State University. And as, as the, this accident unfolded and, and people were able to respond, I saw this, this, and I began to more clearly see this, this impact that we had had upon people. And I say that to the glory of God. It's, it's, it certainly is Jesus working through us. But people responded and they, they wrote us letters and, they sent us flowers and they called us and they told us what impact the Lord had had upon their lives through our ministry. And I say that to encourage you in this way. Much of what we do in Christianity, much of what we do in the Lord's work is planting seeds, isn't it? And you plant seeds and you put them under the ground and the seed disappears and you don't see anything for a while. It may be a long time before that tender green shoot comes up and some evidence of growth begins to take place. And see, all of us in our lives have an opportunity to plant seeds, don't we? Through giving, through, through sharing with people in, in the workplace, people, our neighbors and friends that we, that we uh, associate with each day. So we have opportunity to plant seeds of the gospel. And let me encourage you. The Bible says that if we sow abundantly, we're going to reap abundantly. And, I, and I, I've caught just a little glimpse of that, that as, as we labor in prayer and caring for people, we do that by faith, and, and we don't see an immediate result, but the, the payoff day is coming. And I got to see just a little glimpse of it through people's response to this accident. And, and I want to encourage you, keep praying, keep sharing your faith with people, keep loving people, even if you don't see a response, because God is going to be faithful to bring the increase. He promises to do that. And that has oh, been a great encouragement to me. On Saturday night, after the diagnosis was made of, of, of Joy's injury, the doctor was very frank with us, and he told us that there was a very strong possibility that she might not make it through the night due to swelling in the spinal cord. If the swelling progresses up the spinal cord to, to your respiratory function, you basically die because you, you can't breathe anymore. And that's a, that's a common um, occurrence if you have a high spinal injury. And as after the doctor had shared that with me, Joy and I finally were settled in intensive care and had a little bit of rest from the rush of professional people caring for her. And I told her, I said, Joy, this is, um, this is real serious. The doctor said there's a chance you might not make it through the night. And so we, we talked about our lives in, in terms of if it was Joy's time to go home, this is what I want done with the children. And this is what I want done with this. And we arranged the practical matters that one has to, 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 to take care of if one is facing the imminence of death. And as, as we talked and prayed and cried together, we both could look over the, the past years of our life and we could look over them without a sense of regret. 
And certainly we have not lived perfectly. We have not done, we haven't batted a thousand in our Christian life. We've failed and we've needed God's grace and forgiveness like all of us do. But in looking back over our lives, there was a great sense of, of peace knowing that we had invested our lives in the right place. And Joy said, she said, Dick, I'm not ready to go home because I'm not ready to leave my children yet. But if, if it's the Lord's time for me to go, then so be it. I can let go and, and I can, I know that I'll go to home, go home to be with Jesus. And what a tremendous satisfaction that we can have in the Lord of knowing that we invested our life where it really counts. We've put our eggs in the right basket so that when our time to go home is up and the Lord brings us home, we can go home with a sense of joy. We can go home with, with a sense of peace and really with a sense of victory knowing that we've done the will of God, at least to the best of our ability. We've pleased the Father. We've made that the goal of our life, to please our Heavenly Father. I have a friend who is who is now in ministry, and his grandfather died some years back. And during the, 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 the last few days of his life on this earth, Rod got to be with his grandfather. And his grandfather began looking over his past life. Now, his, his grandfather was a good Christian man, but he, 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 he got caught up in a, in a lot of pursuits like making money and, 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 and doing some other things that really weren't in line with, with, with a kingdom lifestyle. And as he, as he laid there on his deathbed, he looked back over his life and he told Rod with, with a considerable amount of anxiety and pain, he said, you know, I, I've, I've, I've lived my life in, in some ways for the wrong things. I, I've been so concerned about our financial security. I've been so concerned about, about, about making life comfortable. And he says, now as I lay here ready to go home, it, it, it all is so meaningless. And he, and he recounted a, a man who, uh, some, some 30 or 40 years before had, had lent him a considerable sum of money. And that, and that man was going to start a business and, the man had left and absconded with the money. And he said, for, for 30 years, I have hated and resented that man. And he says, now as I'm sitting on the brink of eternity, I see how foolish I've been and how many years and how many uh, ounces of emotional energy I've wasted in just being bitter over this situation. And, and he sees how, how, how insignificant the $30,000 was back in 1930. It, it's insignificant in the light of eternity. And that's one of the things that, that, that we saw in our lives is that, uh, is that as we've really sought to invest ourselves in the highest priorities, and of course that's what the scripture teaches us, the things of love, things of the kingdom of God, these are the things that are going to last forever, that we could look back at our lives with a sense of peace and satisfaction. And I challenge you tonight, if you look back over the years that you lived, are, are you satisfied with what you've done, with what you, what, what you have in the Lord? And, and if you look back and you think, oh no, I, I don't know if I'm really ready to, to meet the Lord face to face, then tonight is the night that a new leaf can be turned over for you. As, see, today is the, the first day of the rest of your life, the, the posters say. And, and that's true in God, because tonight you can begin a, something new in God. You have the rest of your days to which we can seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And we know that all these things will be added unto us. I remember hearing a speaker named Jerry Cook, and he was, um, at one point in his life, he was dying of a heart attack. And he, re he described the experience of being near to death as, as feeling as if he was pressing against a membrane, and that this membrane was the only thing separating him from eternity. 
and it reminded me of birth. And I, I remember him saying that he realized that the only thing that he could take with him was, was relationships, his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with other people. And I, I remember thinking that, uh, that I might die. And I had lost a friend five years before due to a spinal injury. And I remember thinking, well, maybe I should re-repent. Maybe I should make sure that everything is taken care of. But then I thought, well, I knew that the choice that I had, either to believe that when I had repented of the things that I've done wrong, that Jesus covered that with his blood, either I could believe that and that his mercy was enough, or I could not believe it and, and, um, scramble around trying to make sure that everything was taken care of. And the choice was very clear and I decided not to re-repent. I decided to remember his mercy. Remember what the scripture says that he promises to cover everything and that when it's time for us to go into eternity that he'll be there and that he will have prepared a place for us if we've done what he's asked us to do, and that is to turn away from the things that we know we've done wrong. And I remember the decision to 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 believe in his mercy and to trust that his grace was sufficient and that his crucifixion was enough to cover all the things that I know I've done wrong. And the peace of God was there for me. I remember the peace of God being there at the moment of my accident when I became conscious that something terrible had happened and I was laying on the ground outside Albertson's and and realizing that his peace was there. And that's what Dick was talking about, the grace of God being sufficient. And I remember being down at Rancho Los Amigos Rehabilitation Center in L.A. and sensing the prayers of the saints as being a substance a something that carried me when I didn't have the energy to pray for myself. You all were praying for me. And I remember it being almost like a cloud or a cushion that carried me through all my days there. And I've never sensed that before. I've never sensed that strong substance of the prayers of the saints. And that's why we encourage you never to stop praying for people that it is a something and to never, um, never overlook the little people in our lives, the people that came out of the woodwork that I, I had chosen to not overlook in my life, the little people, the people maybe that were older than me or younger than me, the children in my life. These people prayed for me and sent me cards and called me on the phone and loved me. And they just gave back to me what I had given to them, not really thinking about it. But when we live our lives to be sure that we don't overlook someone, that we don't not love someone that maybe seems less important than we are, or that we might be too busy, our children, and um, maybe the older people in our lives that are dear friends, but maybe we've been too busy to spend time with. And that those were less, some of the lessons that I learned. When I was at Rancho, most of my friends were um, street people and gang members and 
Hell's Angels. And it was a kind of a different world than I was used to. 70% of the people in spinal injury were either shot or stabbed within the first week. I quit asking people how they'd been injured. I just asked them if they'd been shot. <laughs> I said yes. But I was, I was the one that had the most support of anyone there. Most, most of the, of my friends had either no one or very few and were looking at a life of being disabled with no one to come and visit them and a family that really didn't have use for them and didn't have a place for them. And it, um, I realized more than ever that it's relationship. It's people that love you, that make, make you valuable, that give human life value and make you feel valuable, I guess. And that we must be sure to keep our eyes open to helping people feel that we're glad that they were born and that they're, we're glad that they're still alive, no matter what shape their house comes in, that that spirit and the soul of them is what Christ says is valuable and that we must never lose an opportunity to, to reach out and love someone. It only really takes, sometimes I think I've, I've even, counted the seconds that it takes to make someone feel good. And I think I'm down to about 45 seconds that all it takes is a quick hand clasp and a look right into their eyes. And, and uh, people feel like they're glad that they walked into the place where you are. Joy took, we found a rehab center in Los Angeles, which is the same one that Johnny Erickson went to some years ago. And we, we really sensed that that was the right direction for us to go. So we, we packed up our family and we moved to Los Angeles. And, um, my mother-in-law, Lois, took care of the family during the day while Joy was in the rehab center. And then I found a job painting, uh, houses down there in, in Los Angeles. And so the Lord's provision was, was really with us. The second day I was there, I had a job and we found a house that was literally kitty corner from the, from the, the ranch complex, the, the hospital complex. And so we, we could walk over and see Joy. It was, a, it was really a tremendous provision of God. We spent six months there. And then in, in October, we returned back to Montana. We were met at the airport by about 60 of our friends who had banners and uh, posters. And they all sang, we love you with the love of the Lord. And that was a very touching moment for us because when they sang that song, we love you with the love of the Lord, they did not merely love us in word, but they had loved us in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth, as it says in the book of First John. And it was a, it was a tremendous homecoming to, to be united again with the, with the people that we loved. And again, this tremendous support mechanism of, of people that we knew in Bozeman went into, went, went into action. And uh, I'll let Joy share some of the things that, that happened in this area. I had a, a friend who was not necessarily a close friend named Carol, who wrote to me and said that she wanted to organize the help for me in the household. And she had four children, the second of whom is handicapped. And I said, I don't know how you're going to do this, Carol. But she organized it like a true businesswoman. You know, they say that if you can run a house, you can run any business. <laughs> I think that's true. And so Carol set this incredible network into play. And I, I, um, 
had maybe 40 hours of help a week and meals are still being brought in. There's a 90 person meal team that doesn't impact anyone heavily. They bring in a meal every three months. So we still have meals every night. And that is, um, you can't imagine how much help that is. The first two months we were there, there was a path from my kitchen to the front door and everything else was, at least for me, chest high, wind boxes. Everyone else was maybe waist high. And I remember the couple days at the beginning when I didn't really have much help. I remember rolling around the house and just crying. I couldn't stop crying because I saw so much that I wanted to do. And I kept saying to myself, if I was able-bodied, and I thought, I can't say this. I can't do this. I can't run around crying all day. And I called Carol. I said, Carol, I need help all day long, six days a week. And she said, all right. And so people came and for two to three months were my hands and feet. And that kept me sane. I could just tell them what to do with everything and throughout most of it. And, and, uh, I was, I was content doing that. It made me feel good to be doing something, although I wasn't doing a thing. I was just telling people what to do. But I, I, I think some people have asked me, well, how do you do it? How do you run your house with limited hand function and two small children and so on and so forth? And I'll have to say that there's, there are days definitely when I'm sad and I cry and I've decided that I have to do that. I have to embrace the sad days. Otherwise, your stomach keeps score. <laughs> but, you know, the verses in Philippians 4 that say to rejoice in everything to rejoice. And if you have any needs to pray and ask the Lord to help you. I think that that is more than just gritting our teeth and deciding that we're going to be happy. I think at least for me, it is deciding the things that will make me happy, the things that will help me to rejoice, and the things that I want and need in my life, and deciding those, and then figuring out a way to make them happen. And that's where rejoicing always has helped me. I've decided the things that are important to me and the things that will help me to rejoice. Some of those are to make sure that my house is clean. I didn't realize I was this picky, but I am. And deciding that I need the baseboards dusted and the sink kept shiny every day and asking someone to do those. Medicaid came through and I have help now, paid help all day, six days a week. So I can have that done. And then deciding that I can't deal with someone else correcting my children because they're trying to help me but saying, I can, I can do that. Having a paddle made for me that straps to my hand <laughs> because I need to spank my own children. And those, those things seem small, but going out to lunch with friends was always important to me. And sometimes eating is a problem. Sometimes I haven't quite figured out how to deal with a sandwich or Sometimes the soup doesn't always make it to my mouth on time. <laughs> but I have to decide that this helps me to rejoice. This makes me feel human, makes me feel alive, and I need to do it. And 
my friends are most patient helping me up and down curbs. And so I go for walks just like I always have. And I plan to go hiking some way or another. And these things help me to rejoice. And instead of, of giving into the temptation to be sad and feel out of control and think of all the things I can't do, the Lord has given me the strength to do lots of things that I've always done. And one of my best friends ate dinner with me the other night. And she says, you know, Joy, I don't want this to sound bad, but I don't think of you as any different than we're not doing anything that we never did before. We're doing the same things. And I don't think of you as being disabled. She says, I know you are, and I'm sorry that you are, but we're still the same. And that meant so much to me because I am the same. When my friends came to visit me in the hospital, one of them was walking down the hall and was very quiet, and she was not looking forward to seeing me. And she heard someone laughing down the hall, and she recognized that it was my laugh. And I think we were trying to put on pants or something. It was a terrible job when your legs don't move. But she realized that I was still the same, and it gave her comfort and peace. One of my friends' children, before she saw me, they were talking about me at around the supper table, and she's three years old, and she said, you know, Joy doesn't have a head. And... And, well, you can understand how a child would think. You know, when your doll breaks their neck, their head falls off. <laughs> so she's the same She's the same little girl who was, you know, these cars that have the, the little voices that talk to you? Your door is a jar. You know, a door is never a jar. It's always a door. <laughs> well, little Aaron said, you know, Tippy has a car that talks. It says that your door is a can. God has really, really helped us through this and, and, and not just helped us, but he's helped us to be victorious. He's really helped us to find a sense of victory in all of this. I want to close with just sharing a couple of thoughts about suffering. Suffering is something that we don't like to talk about, but I think it's, it's essential somehow for our growth in God. It's, it's during times of suffering when we, we don't know why something has happened that God is able to do a deep work, a deepening work within our hearts. In Hebrews 5.8, scripture says that Jesus learned obedience from the things he suffered. And here Jesus was the son of man. He was the son of God. He was perfect in every respect. And yet suffering had a role in his life of, of deepening his understanding of the father's purposes. And, and, and I've seen that in our lives that, that suffering and, and just going through these situations has deepened us and has deepened our faith. One of the things we, we've, we've learned is we have faith in who God is because God did not fall asleep on March 14th. He wasn't out taking a coffee break and comes back and went, whoops, what happened down there? You know, oh no, there's been an accident. See, God did not lose control of the situation. I don't know why it happened. And, and I, I've, I've made that an illegal question because I don't know why it happened. And I don't know that I'll ever know, at least on this side of the resurrection, why this happened. But I do know that the Lord is blameless in everything that he does. And so I don't blame God for what's happened. But I look each day for his grace 
to make, to help us to make it through the things that, that he's calling us to do. When you think about tragedies like this in the eternal perspective, I think it really shrinks it down to size. That's one of the things that, um, the Lord continually challenges me on is to, is to get an eternal perspective, Dick, on, on your life and on things that are going on. And when we look at a situation like Joy is in, that even if, you know, she stays the condition she's in for the next 30 or 40 years, what's 30 or 40 years compared to eternity? When we're all going to get new bodies that aren't broken and that are not susceptible to accidents, we're going to get hearts that are not going to be hurt and wounded by people and by circumstances, where things are going to be perfect. And if we look at things in the eternal perspective, maybe this situation isn't so tragic after all. And and I'm, I just believe that somehow God is big enough to get mileage out of this situation, maybe in a way that he couldn't have before the accident. That God is able to take tragedies and he's able to turn them into triumphs. And the key is that we walk with God through it. If we, if we get resentful and we get bitter, see, we're going to lose out. We're going to lose that eternal perspective. We're going to lose the grace of God and we're going to end up bitter and cynical people still asking God, if you, if you love me, you wouldn't allow this to happen. Well, that's, that's illegal question. Wrong because we don't have God's perspective. We just don't understand always what God is wanting to do. And it's helped us. The situation has helped us to, to keep eternity in mind. And, and the few years that we have left to live, we want to live them to the glory of God. Story is told of a professor who taught in a seminary, and he knew theology very well, but his walk with God really wasn't that close. And tragically, his son was taken in a car accident, and this man was devastated by what happened. For once, he didn't have answers in his life. He, he couldn't turn to his theology because his theology didn't give him an answer. And he stopped attending classes. And, and he wasn't coming to classes. And this went on for a couple of weeks. And the students began coming to the president and saying, listen, this, this guy's not coming. I'm supposed to be taking this class. He's supposed to be teaching it. And you've got to replace him. And, and the president of the, of the university was, was unwilling to replace him because he knew God was dealing with this man. And they had, had, they had an alumni banquet and all of the college professors and all of the alumni were in this beautiful banquet hall with white tablecloths, eating a nice formal meal together. And in the middle of this banquet, this professor, all disheveled and, and, and shabbily dressed and, and, and unkept, he came into this room and everyone gasped. And this guy kind of staggered in and he staggered up to the head table and he, and he, and he asked for the microphone and the president gave him the microphone. And he said, as all of you know, my son was taken in an accident several weeks ago. And as most of you have seen, I haven't handled this very well. And he said, I've, I've been to the bottom in this situation. But he says, I have something to report to you tonight that the bottom is solid. The bottom is solid, friends. Whatever the Lord calls us to go through, whatever storm is going to come into your life, we can rest assured that the bottom is solid. And if we build our lives upon the rock, on the rock of Jesus Christ, and we do that by hearing and obeying the word of God, that's what it boils down to. We can't just hear the word of God and walk away saying, oh, that was a nice sermon and go on living the way we've always lived. We must apply the word of God to our lives. But by doing that, we are setting roots down on that, on the eternal rock that can never be moved. And when the storm comes, 
Sure, it's difficult, but God's grace is there and the storm leaves and the house is standing. And by God's grace, our house is standing today. Our house has been changed a little bit, but it's standing and we're going to go on in the grace of God. Finally, I, I want to share just a few thoughts about what we do. All of this somehow relates to campus ministry, especially because all the relationships that we've had over the years really have come out of our campus ministry. We have a very fluid church on campus. We have people that stay for a year up to, uh, from a year to four years, five years sometimes, and then they're released and, and they graduate and they go to another place generally to, to fulfill their career. <clears throat> and we, we sense God's call to be upon the campus to not only minister to Christian students that come to the university, students that, that desire to be discipled and trained and matured so that, that when they leave the university environment, they can plug into a local church somewhere and, and be a blessing and, and be an example of what God's grace is. That's my goal for students that, that, that leave our fellowship. And then for students that come to college that don't know Jesus at all, that perhaps have not been raised in any kind of Christian home at all, and now that the percentages are getting to be quite large of how many students have not been raised in church at all. We're pushing like 60% are unchurched. The new freshman survey that was taken this year said that 60% of freshmen have never gone to church or you know, rarely gone to church. That hasn't been a part of their home life, and that's a tremendous challenge for us to reach out to these people. I wish that you could be with us some Wednesday night on the campus. We meet right up on campus. We, this year we have around 70 students joining us. And it's a beautiful thing to be in the, in the presence of worship and praise and the moving of God's spirit and all of the energy that students at, at that age have. It's a, it's a tremendous thing to witness the Lord ministering to their hearts, bring, bringing salvation and repentance into their lives, filling them with the Holy Spirit, and, and probably most excitingly of all, giving them a vision for what God wants to do in their lives. The Lord spoke to me when I, when I first started ministry that he wanted to send students from Montana State University to the ends of the earth as missionaries, people that would take the good news of the gospel. And to, to this point in time, over the past 13 years, we've had over 25 people respond to God's call for long-term missionary service in all different avenues. And I, and I, I say that to the glory of God. Because, because, boy, the Lord needs laborers in the harvest field. Some of us are called to stay, but a few of us are called to go if, if the, all the nations are going to be reached. And it's been our, our privilege to see God moving and, 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 and planting vision in students' lives. And we've had the side benefit of having tremendous relationships that, that even though students leave, these people are still in our heart because we love them and care for them and, 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 and that bond of relationship and, has 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 meant everything to us that's that's meant everything that that you know human relationships can mean it's always it's it's always worth it to invest ourselves in people that's what jesus did when he was here he didn't have a program except what the father told him to do but he was always spending time with people wasn't he whether it was at a wedding in canaan whether it was with the disciples speaking on the Mount of Olives or wherever he was, he was sharing his life with people. And that's what Jesus has called us to be. I, I, I appreciate your support, your, your prayer support and your financial support because it enables Joy and I to be on campus. We, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's the kind of ministry that you've got to spend, you know, 40, 50 hours a week being up there, being with people. And there's just so many demands and, and obligations. And, and it's just not possible for us to work a full-time job and do that. And so we're really dependent on people's 
uh, vision to support us financially and, and in prayer. And we, we do appreciate the support that you've given to us. And I just want to say a big thanks to all of you tonight for, for being our friends, for standing with us in prayer. And I, and I trust that these lessons that we've learned through this past year can encourage and strengthen you in your life as, as you go forth from this place. I realized that my vision and heart to work with people on the, at the university and, um, didn't change. And that meant so much. It, it increased my purpose to live and to go on with my life. And I've been, every chance I've been able to, I've been wanting to go up to campus and talk to people in the student union building and being with the, the campus group Wednesday nights. The presence of God has been coming to us in worship like I haven't seen in eight years. And there's just, I feel that we're on the edge of something new, that something is about to break for the campus and the other campus groups, InterVarsity and Campus Crusade, some of the others are binding together with us. We're finding students wanting to pray for each other and wanting to share their faith with others. And I haven't seen this kind of fervor in, in about eight years. There's just something new happening. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. One of my friends told me that, that I saved his life, that when he came to see me in California, he was considering ending his life because he had no hope. And when he saw me and realized that God's grace was enough for me, enough for me in this situation with this strange new body and wondering how to deal with my home and my family, that he knew that God's grace could be enough for him. And I am praying that God will use me in people's lives for that purpose, to know that his grace and mercy is enough and that he can go before us and make crooked places straight and make mountains low so that we can go on with our lives in whatever situations that each of us are facing. All of us suffer to one degree or another, and we need to hear from each other that God is here for us, that he's enough, and that he's big enough for all of us to fit into his kingdom. i just like for us to all pray together. Lord, I pray for all these, your precious children and my dear friends, and my family, and I pray that you will come to each of us, that your presence will press against each of our hearts, each of our souls, each of us where we live alone, where no one sees, that you will come to us and press near to us, reveal your love to us, reveal your grace and your mercy, that you indeed are enough, that your kingdom is big enough for each of us to find a place. Lord, we pray that you will bless our efforts to love each other, that you would open our eyes to see the heart of each person, each one who seems too small or seems to irritate us, that you would open our eyes to see the heart, to see the needs, and that you would strengthen us to care more deeply. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.